We're going to talk a little bit about the Christmas story today in a way that you've probably not heard. Although, you've probably heard probably every Christmas sermon that there is to be heard. So, what I say today probably won't be anything new or earth-shattering to you. But when this happened, it was exactly that. It wasn't new, but for them, it was earth-shattering. Matthew chapter 2 says this, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where did the prophet say the Messiah would be born? He asked them, in Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judah, you are not just a lowly village in Judah, for a ruler will come for you, from you who will be shepherd for my people Israel. Now we're going to talk about that prophecy in a moment, but there's a couple of things just in this paragraph I want to look at real quickly. The first one is some people were expecting the Messiah. Some of Israel was expecting them. Wise men knew what to look for. They heard about the coming Messiah. They believed what was written in the Old Testament, and they were looking for him. There's always going to be people who are looking for the truth, looking for the Messiah. Most times they don't know where to look unless they have a sign, unless there's someone there to show them. And guess what? That someone is us. I don't believe there's going to be another star not going to be another visible sign like that. God has given us that, uh, that privilege, that ability, that calling to be there to share with people what they're looking for. You know, the Bible says that everyone will worship something. You either worship God, yourself, or something else. There's always something in everyone's life that we worship, and there are always people looking for the truth. Our job is to guide them to the truth. The second thing is some people were troubled by the Messiah. Herod saw his leadership. There was gonna be a problem for him. He was kinda worried about that. He was afraid this new Messiah would take away all he had. Herod did not wanna give up his lifestyle. That tells me there's always gonna be people who don't wanna give up what they have. They don't wanna give up their lifestyle. They like the way things are. They don't want to have God interfere with them. I can say that because that was me. I liked the way I was. I didn't want to give up the things that I thought I had to give up to serve God. But the thing about serving Jesus is you really don't give up anything. How many found that to be true? But you gain everything. Think about when you were younger. The things you valued as a teenager or 20-something are different than the things you value today. The things you really, you couldn't live without as a teenager, you found you could live without as an adult. How many find that to be true? Why? Because as you mature, things in your life, priorities change. Just as it is with knowing Christ. When you come to know Christ, it's not that God tells you to give up stuff, it's your priorities change. The things that you value, you no longer value. The things you didn't really care about now become important to you. When you become parents, all the material things that you acquired up to that point take a back seat to the baby. 
Why? Because your priorities change as you mature. So there's people who are always looking for the Messiah. There's people who don't want to know the Messiah because they don't want to give up what they have. And the third point is some people knew the Bible, but they didn't believe it, or they thought that it didn't apply to them. Herod asked the leading, preacher, the leading teachers of the law, where's the Messiah coming from? And they knew right off the bat where he's coming from. They knew it all. They told him right away. But these are the same people that called for Christ to be crucified. So they knew the Bible, but it didn't apply to them, or they didn't believe it was for them. There's always going to be people who know the Bible but don't think it applies to them. Marlene said it this morning. We rationalize things we want to do. Well, it's okay. God wouldn't have done this and put these things together if it weren't for me. Always people are going to know the Bible, know what it says, but think that their life is the exception to the rule. I've had people say to me, you know, God's just going to have to forgive me for this one. You ever thought that to yourself? Then my sin, you know, isn't, isn't that big compared to everybody else's sin, so God's going to have to forgive me on this one. People who believe the Bible, but it doesn't apply to me. They know that the Bible as a history book or a textbook, but not the living or the word of the living God. Which camp are we in? Do you want to know truth? Do you not want to know truth because you don't want it to affect your life? Or do you think that you know God's word but it doesn't really apply to your situation? Well, the truth is God's word applies to every situation and every life. And whether we acknowledge it or not, God's word still is truth. There's a saying that says, truth denied is still truth. If I tell you this podium is black, it doesn't matter what you think about this podium. You may think it's red, you may think it's green, but the reality is, it's black. Truth denied is still truth. God's word denied still is God's word. So now we're going to bring me to the book of Micah where this quote was taken from. And we're going to look at what's going on in Micah's world that causes him to write this. Now if you're not familiar with the book of Micah, you would think that Micah's writing all about the goodness and grace of God and how God loves his people and how God just wants to pour his grace upon it, well, you'd be about one-fifth right. Because the first four chapters are the prophet detailing the destruction that God was going to bring upon Judah and Israel. Specifically, the horrific judgment that God was going to bring upon his people. Now, if you read some of the other Old Testament books, the Minor Prophets, most of those are detailing, like Amos was detailing what's going to happen to everybody else. God's going to judge these people and this people and that people and the other people because of what they did to Israel. Now, God is talking to his people saying, this is what's going to happen to you because you failed to follow my word. Micah 1.5 says, and why is this happening? Because of the sins and rebellion of Israel and Judah. Who is to blame for Israel's rebellion? Samaria, its capital city. Where is the center of idolatry in Judah? In Jerusalem, its capital. God got to the point where he was fed up with his people constantly sinning and not listening to the prophets to tell them to go right with God. 
He lists all their sins. He tells them what's going to happen to them in the way of divine punishment. And he tells them to get ready because it's coming. Judgment's coming. You're going to be taken away into captivity. Everything you have is going to be gone. And you're going to be slaves in the next 70 years or so. And right in the middle of all this sin and judgment and the punishment that God's going to bring upon his people, we have Micah 5.1. It says, mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. With a rod, they will strike the leader of Israel in the face. It's coming. Prepare yourself. The first four chapters are about all you've done to cause this. Chapter five says, okay, it's coming. But right after that, in the middle of all the stuff that's gonna come, he says this in verse two. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village in Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from distant past. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the time when the woman in labor gives birth to her son. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead the flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed for he will be highly honored around all the world, and he will be our source of peace. God picks the city in which the Savior was gonna be born. And if you study the city that he picks, you'll see he has a distinct pedigree. Many other important events happen in Jerusalem. It wasn't by chance that God picked the city. And he tells them that this current generation of Jews will be left in captivity and will be away from God until what happens? Woman gives birth. Who? Who's the woman? Mary. The rest of, pro- of the prophecy is about the coming age. How many of, when you read the Old Testament, there are ways that prophecies are written. I call them twofold. There's probably another term for it. It's about something that's, one prophecy details two different situations. One is going to happen pretty quickly, and the next thing it applies to is something that's going to happen further on down the pike. And this is what this was. The first one was when Israel as a nation comes back to their homeland after captivity. After the 70 years, God brings them back. God sends a Messiah, and that starts that. It also talks about the end of the age when the nation of Israel turns back to God as a nation. So it's two different events with one prophecy. Now, the people of Micah's time, when they heard this, you would think after they heard the first four chapters, that they would repent. Man, all this stuff's coming upon us. Please forgive us, God. Spare us from this agony that's coming. But they didn't. They listened to it, and they disregarded it. How many have ever heard this sermon? It's an old one. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. An old, what, 1800s sermon. Spurgeon? Did that? I can't remember. But one of those guys, it was, and as I read details about the sermon, people in the pews were gripping the pew in front of them and their knuckles were turning white because they were so afraid of what God was going to bring upon in the way of judgment. The people of Israel was just like the people of Nineveh, except Nineveh repented. Nineveh said, whoa, you're right, we're sorry, and they repented of it. But Israel was so hardened that they didn't. And you think about that, how much different is that than it is today? 
people are hardened. We see our country declining in the things of God and the, the increase in the things of sinfulness. Isaiah 5.20 says, destruction is certain for all those who say evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark. And that's exactly what's happening today. How many, I quit watching the news because I get really upset when I watch it. But what do you see? Everything that God has already condemned as sin, people are exalting as beautiful and great and, and calling good evil and evil good. In the midst of this decline, both in our country and the nation of Israel, God throws them a lifeline. He says, it's coming, but I'm here. If you grab onto this lifeline, you'll, you'll be rescued from it. Now, the New, uh, New Testament quotes this prophecy for a reason. There's three reasons. The first one is to validate the Old Testament. When they quote the Old Testament and the New Testament, it shows the link between the two. The Bible is not two separate books. It is one continuing book, one continuing narrative. So it shouldn't be a, an amazement to us that the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament other than the fact that the things written in the Old Testament were written hundreds, if not thousands of years before the New Testament. And so when they're quoting it, they're giving validity to what was written thousands of years ago. And it shows us that what happened and what was said thousands of years ago now is coming true. It validates the Old Testament. And the second thing is, as we said before, prophecies, a lot of them are twofold. Something that's telling that it's gonna happen imminently as well as something that's gonna happen still in the future. And God was telling Israel that judgment was coming soon on them for their sinfulness. But he's also foreshadowing the judgment that's gonna be coming to us, or to the world, during the tribulation. And the escape from both of those, the tribulation as well as the punishment that was coming upon Israel and Judah at that time, is what? The Messiah. The Messiah is the escape hatch from the judgment. God has provided not only a way out of judgment, which is enough, but he gives us the ability to live in peace today. What's the last part of verse five says? It says, tells us that he will be our peace. So not only does God spare us from the judgment that we actually are all due, but God gives us the ability to live in peace while we wait for that to happen. Now, a couple of Wednesdays ago, we discussed happiness. Who wants to be happy? Anybody, anybody not want to be happy? You know what the truth is? God doesn't necessarily want you to be happy. That's, how many know that's true? God does not exist to make you happy. Jesus was not born in a manger to make you happy. Jesus didn't die to make you happy. Jesus came to provide salvation, forgiveness of sins, and therefore, peace with God. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that happens regardless if you are happy or not. How many have been joyful but not happy? 
Happy, happiness depends on happenings. What's happening in your life. You can be unhappy about something that's occurring but still have peace and joy about life in general. That God has, God's got it. No matter what kind of news you hear, God's in control. You can be not happy about what you hear but joyful that you have Christ and that God is above all of that. And God already knows what it is. God's already got it handled. And so you know what? I'm not gonna stress out. My happiness is not gonna depend upon what's happening in my life. My joy is gonna come from my knowing Jesus. We celebrate the gift of God at Christmas time. But God's gift isn't a present. God's gift is a life preserver. Something that God throws out to you You can see that life preserver floating in the water, but if you don't go up and grab it and take a hold of it, you're still gonna drown. God's presence is designed to save you from a life that will eventually drown you in sin and judgment. But God's gift is free without cost to anyone. It's simply received through trust in what God's word says, going back to the truth. God's word is truth. Look at what happened to Herod. The people around him knew it. They had heard the stories many times. They studied the books. They probably heard sermons about it. But they didn't believe it or trust that it was true for them. You mentioned about Christians kind of living how they want to live. How many of us really think that Jesus can come back tonight. I mean, do we live that way? Or do we live like, you know, he's gonna come back next week, so I got this week to get everything right. He's not coming back for another month, so I'm good for the next three weeks, and then I'll, I'll repent the day before he comes back. I was brought up in a faith where you can live like you wanted to live all week long, and then go to confession on Saturday, and you're good to go on Sunday. It's not how it works. The people in Micah's time and the people in Jesus' time missed what he was trying to say to them, trying to get their attention, trying to prevent them. You know, God, the Bible says God takes no joy in bringing punishment upon people. How many realize that? He does not take joy in that. How many of you take joy in chastising your kids? This is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you is a lie. (laughs) But God doesn't take any joy in bringing judgment. There's a whole contingent of people today who have missed what Christmas is about. It's not about the presents. It's not about God offering, it's about God offering his, his love to his people. Wanting to give them the gift of his son, but we have to want it we have to believe that it's there and then we have to appropriate it isaiah 118 now the book of isaiah is all about the messiah i heard a sermon the other day isaiah has 66 chapters the bible has 66 books and isaiah 53 is the exact 
center of, of, you know, about the same delineation when Christ was born. So the whole book of Isaiah is about the Messiah. And in verse, chapter one, verse 18 says, come, now let, let us argue this out, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sin, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you as white as wool. That's Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Whether it's the December 25th or September, whatever day it is, we celebrate the birth of the gift, the life preserver that God has sent to each one of us to save us basically from yourself. Because our natural inclination is to do wrong. If you don't believe me, watch any toddler. Their natural inclination is to do exactly what you tell them not to do. Children are sinful. Adults are sinful. Left to ourselves, we will sin. How many of you don't speed because it's the right thing to do? Or you don't speed because you're going to get caught? Hopefully we do the things that are right regardless of if anybody's watching us. I'm working on a sermon on integrity. Do we have integrity? Do we live as Christians with with integrity in our lives? All that integrity is not to focus upon us but to be a reflection of what Jesus has already done in us. That's what Christmas is. Has God transformed your life? Has God done something in your life that you can look back at Christmas and say, man, that was the beginning for me. When I came to know Christ, my life changed totally. I received what God had been offering me for so long, and I finally got the present, and I unwrapped it. <sighs> changed my life. I can do without all the stuff that we do for Christmas. It's great, it's pretty, but is it really? We focus on the microphone that's coming off my head. we focus on really what Christmas is about? Or are we too caught up in trying to be better than last year? Or put on a good front for everybody else? In reality, Christmas isn't here, it's here. What has God done in your heart in the way of giving you something that you don't deserve? And do we appreciate how God has really transformed who you are? Would you stand as we close this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would. God was telling Old Testament Israel that punishment was coming because of their sin. If God does not change, then guess what? Punishment is coming because of our sin in the form of the tribulation. But even for wicked Israel and wicked Judah, God says, I'm still providing you a way out. I'm still showing you my love for you. I love you. I don't want you to suffer this punishment. I want you to not only escape it, but I want you to be blessed through it. I want you to have peace. And the same thing that God offered Israel thousands of years ago is the same thing that God offers us today. The freedom from whatever punishment is gonna be coming, 
the forgiveness of our sins, our transgressions, and the ability to get right with God. Maybe you have a relationship in your life that is strained or broken, something that you really wish you had back, but for whatever reasons you don't. You would like to have it back, but the other person doesn't want to give it back. When Christ came, that's exactly what it was for us. God wanted a relationship with you, but at some time in your life you didn't want it. And God kept wanting you and wanting you and wanting you and you kept rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him. Until finally you got to the point where you said, you know what, I want that relationship. The Holy Spirit has been prompting you for so long to say yes to that and you finally say yes to it. Everyone, we've been through many Christmases together. And maybe this is the Christmas that God gets your attention. That you respond to that prompting of the Holy Spirit that God wants to restore that relationship with you. Maybe you've heard this Christmas sermon or various Christmas sermons many times in your life. And every, everyone you've heard is the Holy Spirit telling you he wants that relationship with you. And every time you walk out the door and you say next year. But no one is guaranteed of next year. No one's guaranteed of tomorrow. God wants you to have that relationship restored today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not on December 25th. You're here because God wants you to restore that relationship now. Maybe you've followed Christ all of your life and you've just gotten away from him. Or maybe you find yourself, as the book of Revelation tells us, you're lukewarm in the things of God. Yeah, things are okay, you know, you don't, not as on fire as you used to be. And the things of God don't excite you anymore, don't get you out of bed every morning excited for the things of God. You're just uh, lukewarm. Or maybe you're here and you've really never had that relationship to begin with. You've heard all the Christmas stories, but you've never really taken the life preserver that God gave you ever in your life to restore that relationship. Well, that's why you're here this morning, to be offered that life preserver, to bring you back into God's kingdom, to initiate you into God's kingdom, and maybe to put you back on fire again for God. Because in Revelation, the Bible says, if you're lukewarm, God's gonna spit you out. God doesn't want lukewarm believers. He wants people that are on fire for him who are excited about what God is going to do today and tomorrow and the next day. And we live our lives full of expectation and anticipation of what the Holy Spirit's going to do in and through us. So regardless of which of those three areas you're in, the Bible says you're here to hear that and to restore that. So if you want to renew, restore, or initiate that relationship with Christ, I want you to raise your hand right now.
Hallelujah. Father, you see our hearts bowed before you this morning. And Father, we are so grateful for the free gift you've given us in Jesus. All the things that we've lived our lives for, that we rejected you, we didn't want anything to do with you, and yet, God, you pursued us. And you showered us with your love and you gave us your son in order to make things right with us. You gave. We didn't give anything. And yet, because you gave, we received joy and peace and eternal life, a guarantee of of living with you in heaven. And Father, all we can do is thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for each person that's here this morning that you would fill them with your joy, fill them with your spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to prompt that inner fire to come out. And Lord, allow us to live our lives in eager expectation of what you're gonna do next. That God, we know your word says you're always working, always. Even in things that we think are mundane, you're working. You put us in positions where we can answer a phone and tell someone about Jesus. You put us in a position where we're in line at a grocery store and someone needs prayer. Father, we are not here to serve ourselves. We are here to serve you by serving others. So Lord, I pray that each one of us would be filled with the excitement and the the unction to be used in a great way for the kingdom of God. That's how we want to celebrate Christmas. By honoring you. By blessing others. So Father, equip us as we leave today. Let your Holy Spirit prepare divine appointments. Set up meetings. You orchestrated, Father, in us to allow us to be where you need us to be. When you need us to be there. To accomplish your perfect will. And Father, we will thank you for all that you are doing, how you did that for us, and how you're gonna use us to do it for someone else. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We commit our lives, all that we have, to you. We lay them at your feet. They're yours. You use them in us to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Have a tremendous week. Don't forget Christmas Eve service.